This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Elman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, Bard MBA's Olivia Tausig speaks with Gary J. Nix, founder and chief strategist of The Brand Darkest. Welcome, Gary J. Nix. I'm Olivia Tausig, Senior Director of Programming at Ivy and MBA in Sustainability candidate at Bard. Gary, you have 25 years of experience in media, communications, and marketing, and were recently named a 2020 innovator by the Advertising Club of New York. You founded your own firm, Brandercus, Strategy as a Service, and are a sought-after expert on ethics, culture, and community as a business necessity. Uh, So for my first question, I just wanted to ask, what sets your firm apart from other branding and marketing firms, and what exactly is Brandarchy? Sure. Uh, So I think what sets us apart from other firms is the way that we approach our work and how we think about it. Uh, Brandarchy is a system on which we base everything that we do. And that system is built off of two things. Um, One, a set of rules that we have identified that all brands have. And two, a different way of looking at things and kind of going against the status quo. Um, That status quo tends to really point towards sales for businesses. And while sales are important, they're critical to the life of a business, our focus is how to get to the sale because we understand that there's a process of doing so. If it was easy for people to put out a great product and then it just sell itself, we wouldn't exist, at least not in the way that we do now. But we know that there are a lot of other elements, many of them being emotional, that lead people to decide to buy one product or service over another. And that is half of what Brandicky is about. Um, Brandicky is about, on one side, the intellectual um, elements that get people to buy products and services. And the other part is the emotional level because you need both. Thank you for that. Um, what was the catalyst for you to found your own company? Uh, so there were two. Um, one was um, being laid off at an agency. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a real thing in this industry, you know. Um, this is one of those industries where if the place where you're working does not have enough work for the department that you're in, um, Sometimes you'll just uh, be out of a job from uh, you know no fault of your own. Uh, but the other part was, while I was happy where I was, there were some things that I felt could be done differently, and there was some um, different parts of the work that I saw differently. So this just 
became an opportunity to try things my way. And, um, you know, I've been able to make it work for going on seven years. Congratulations on that. Is there anything about agency life that you miss or that you find, you know, much more difficult now that you're your own boss or, and what are sort of the upsides I'm wondering? Yeah, I, I mean, the ups, one of the upsides is the freedom and the agility. You know, when you work at a larger agency, you don't, you're, you don't tend to be as agile, you know. Um, being able to make all the decisions is kind of that double-edged sword. Um, you know, that freedom is good, but there's also some pressure on making all the decisions. Uh, the thing I miss the most is having a finance department dedicated to collecting the bills. Um, yeah, you know, that's, that's, I don't like to chase money in that way. You know, I don't mind chasing clients, but chasing money that is owed, that's not fun, but it is part of the business. Yeah, I've heard that that can be tough in your business. And it always kind of strikes me that that's just such an unpleasant job. And yet, a lot of people just sort of treat it as a reality that People don't pay their bills on time. I don't know. I just find that striking about uh, about that industry. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it kind of hits every industry. Um, it's partially understandable. I mean, no, nobody likes to pay bills. Um, but sometimes you'd be uh, shocked at who are the ones who are not paying the bills on time for whatever reason it may be. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so could you just walk us through the different services that you provide? Sure. Uh, so to begin, uh, my services are purely strategic. Um, and I make that distinction because a lot of people, when they hear strategy, they think tactics. While the two are related, they're not the same. Uh, the easiest way to think of me is if you kind of use the example of a building. I'm the architect. That's all I do. I don't do the actual building. I have partners for that. Um, and it's not because I can't. It's that I know that there are people who can you know, actually erect the building better than I can, who can design the building better than I can. But I can do the blueprints and I can lay the foundation. That's where my strength is. Uh, so I do things such as frameworks and um, process architecture. Uh, those systems that are going to actually make you understand what your brand is, who your brand is, what your brand needs to do to connect with people. Uh, brand development. So if whether you are a company who does not have a brand, you're just some sort of startup, or if you are a brand that's been around for a while and is in need of evolution, that I help with. I help with um, internal communications materials, making sure that everyone who works with you understands what the brand is, who the brand is, is also critical. So I help with stuff like that. Brand strategy across 
whatever channels of communication, I, can, I, I help with that. Uh, business strategy also, as I mentioned before, we understand how and why people buy. And that's going to be something that you need to understand for your business, right? Um, guidance and governance, because we are very systems based and the systems and policies are things that are going to actually help you be even more clear about who and what you are. And then we do uh, workshops and trainings as well. Great. And is there a particular type of client or industry or sort of stage in a branding journey that you most enjoy working with? Um, so in terms of industries that, that I enjoy working with the most, if we're just talking about industry by itself, it would probably be sneakers just because I have a sneaker head. Um, nice. But, um, I, what I do enjoy the absolute most is a good challenge. Um, I've worked with financial companies that posed a really interesting challenge to me. And while I'm not necessarily, like I don't like finance as much as I like sneakers, I do enjoy the challenge of making something work, which I've been able to do with some uh, finance companies. Um, stages, it really doesn't matter. It's fun to, to work with a brand that doesn't exist yet. It's fun to work with a brand that needs to evolve. You know, it's kind of like a, a similar set of challenges there. Um, all about making people connect with the brand uh, just from different starting points. But both of those are, are, are great opportunities for us. Mm -hmm. How would you say the industry has changed since you first started your company? Interestingly enough, I think our ability to measure a lot more than we used to um, because of digital technology, et cetera, has hampered what it is that we do. Um, I think sometimes we get too caught up in numbers. Yes, data is important. But when we're talking about what it is that we're trying to do, ultimately selling, it's not only the quantitative data that we need to understand. We need to understand the qualitative data as well. Uh, I've been in this game for 25 years, so I remember how it used to be without digital technology, or at least at the level that we have now. And we tended to lean more on the qualitative side then than we do now. You know, when big data became a thing, people jumped into the data and I think they jumped in a little bit too far. Uh, or they jumped in too far in terms of what they're able to see. Uh, we, we want to quantify everything to the point where we're saying, well, we know word of mouth is the best type of marketing, but do we really know it? Because we can't measure it. We're, we're forgetting or ignoring things that we already know. And that's not good. The key is to match the new data sets that we have with the things that we know to make things better for our customers and people in general 
while we try to figure out the things that we have not been able to measure before. Mm -hmm. Would you say that big data, how it's used in your industry, is it, is there a, an audience or, um, you know, something particular that it's not very adept at capturing other than, like you say, word of mouth, which is sort of impossible to quantify? I think big data captures like a lot of new information, you know, a lot of, it, it's, it's great for research. We're able to find out things that we were not able to confirm before. Uh, things that we didn't even, we may not have known before, because I, I want to just be very clear that I'm not downplaying data. That would, <laughs> that would not be good, especially as a strategist. Okay. Um, it's a matter of how we interpret it and how we use it. That's where I think the industry has not been doing the greatest job as a whole. Right. We, we take it, we say it, and we're like, okay, well, this data says this, and we don't, sometimes we don't go further, in, um, we don't go further into the data to get the insight out, because the data is supposed to lead us to an insight that makes us understand things better, and that can lead us to something that's qualitative. But we go like, quant, 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 and... <laughs> yes, we need the quant. I, all new quants is good, but how do you use it? It's you have this information. How do you use it? How do you execute? The execution part is where we haven't done as well as we can because we've been chasing this data for so long that we get excited that we get that part and then we kind of miss out on the rest. Right. Um, so switching gears a little bit, the past year has really shined a spotlight on the failures of our society in protecting our most vulnerable, the systemic racism, classism, sexism that exists in our country. Do you see an opportunity with your clients to realign with equity and purpose? Uh, definitely. And I think one of the biggest parts of that was um in june around the uh murder of george floyd when a lot of companies made those huge statements and while there still is a lot of work to be done when a company makes a statement of that type they just open the door for accountability. More companies or people need to be held accountable, need to hold themselves accountable for becoming better. And when you make the kind of statement where you're saying, we are going to make these changes, we are going to make sure that we do better now that you said it, you better follow it. People have been asking for uh, these companies to get better for a long time. Some have, some haven't. Um, no one yet has, has really hit that holy grail yet. 
but when you come out as your company saying, okay, here are the things that we are going to do. Here are the changes that we're looking to make. If you don't follow what you said, that's the easiest way to erode trust. And trust is one of the biggest elements in attaining and retaining customers. So if you're saying you're going to do something, you have to make sure that you do it. Whether you need to bring help in or not, you have to make sure that you ultimately do are doing this, the things that you say you want to do. The Impact Report is brought to you by the MBA in Sustainability Program at Bard College. Recently named the number one green MBA and ranked as a top business school for nonprofit leaders by the Princeton Review, Bard MBA in Sustainability offers a globally leading business curriculum that integrates sustainability vision, real-world consulting engagements, organizational transformation, and entrepreneurial training, equipping graduates to lead a just transition to a sustainable future. The hybrid program meets one weekend per month in New York City and online two evenings per week, allowing students to complete the program from around the U.S. without halting their careers. Bard MBA is accepting applications from aspiring changemakers for fall 2021 enrollment. Learn more at gps.bard.edu. I like what you said about opening the door to accountability, because I think on the other side of it, when you're you know, a consumer and obviously all these companies have your emails, I remember around the time that you mentioned just getting email after email in my inbox, like, we stand with George Floyd, we stand with the protesters, thank you for your purchase of like, foxy dog collar. And you're like, okay, thanks, Chewy.com. And I remember it being a little, not unsettling, that's not the word, but it was confusing. And I remember wondering at the time, like, where is this going exactly? So I'm wondering, you know, maybe you started having those conversations with brands that you work with around that time. Have you seen, have you been involved at all in the sort of follow-up and, and the implementation and, and where, where do you sort of in your work get off the train, if that makes any sense? <laughs> um, so I didn't work with any uh, companies that made the, the, made the statements uh, in response to a purchase, thankfully. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Because, I mean, unsettling, while it may not be the absolute right word, it's also a fair word because it's like, it, it, feel, it doesn't feel natural, right? It, it feels like when they make a kind of statement and append it to a receipt, a purchase receipt, it feels like they're just trying to add this thing on, right? Best case scenario, it shows that they did not know how to handle the situation, right? It, it's very possible that they do stand with the protesters. They just didn't know how best to communicate that because they just kind of put that layer over any other sales and marketing material. And that's not the natural way or the the best sensible way to do so. Um, 
what I have done with some of the brands that I've worked with. So uh, once again, as a systems person, I've looked into policies that exist, the systems that exist, and have pointed out to them where the parts in the system have allowed the um, points where they're missing winning in the kind of DEI space in that in that accountability space. You know, sometimes the systems are built to give excuses to get out of the things that they say that they're going to do. And when your systems are built that way, you're not going to be able to sustain the larger promises that you're making. Mm-hmm. So I've been in talks with with companies on that level and have attempted to point them in the right direction. Some of them are working in those directions that um, I and my colleagues have uh, pointed them in. And some have listened to us and said they're going to do things and then not done anything. Uh, one of the things that I learned early in my career is that you have to try not to get upset over the things that you can't control. Also, some of those things are going to take care of themselves. I've written a lot of different articles about how if you don't evolve, eventually your company will die. Um, You have to change with the times. You have to understand what society is like in order to sell to members of said society. You have to understand who it actually is that you're trying to sell to because it's not everybody. Would you like every single person to purchase your product or service? Of course. However, everybody is never your target audience. So if you are, or when you're able to identify who your actual target is, those are the people you have to concentrate on. Those are the people that you have to take care of. And if issues of systemic racism, classism, and sexism matter to your customers, you better make sure that those issues matter to you. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you for that. And just to be clear, the Chewy.com example, I made that up. So this is not an attack piece on Chewy.com. I don't remember (laughs) receiving that email, but I remember receiving many similar emails. Um, So kind of on a similar note, obviously no one knows better than you that media and advertising are very powerful. They touch our lives in many ways and media and advertising have the power to reflect and influence our culture. And, you know, kind of as you were hinting at, there's been a shift toward greater representation of women and people of color behind the scenes and um, in front of the scenes in print and on the screen. Um, how, how do you think we can maintain this momentum and what further progress and opportunities do you see are you hoping for personally? 
Sure. So the first big part of that is um, advertising and media, we have to get out of our way and stop thinking that we create culture. This is not to say that we are unable to do so. This is to clearly say that as a whole, the media and advertising industries are not creating culture. Okay. Um, the media and advertising industries right now are purveyors of culture actively. We should not be taking credit for the creations of others. One of the uh, major things in the advertising industry for entirely too long is or has been the inability to be able to find creators. That's something that uh, the advertising industry has said entirely too often. But for me, it was interesting that that was being said when they were clearly copying things that they saw online. So to me, I'm like, so we, we can't find creative people, but we're copying things that people who don't work in this industry are doing. That doesn't make sense. Mm. So that's the point where I was like, okay, this industry is not creating culture. It's reflecting. It's potentially influencing for better or for worse. So that's the first part of how to even create momentum. The second part is to understand that in order to be a creative of culture or creator of culture, you have to be involved within culture. Stop trying to leverage cultural trends. Take more time to understand them and see where you fit within them. Because then you have a better chance of being a creator. You have to be able to understand it. You need to be able to speak it. You need to be able to live it. And you might be asking, how do you do that as a company? Well, if you look at a company, it's made up of people. So now if you have people who fit within these cultures, you have a better chance of understanding them. You have a better chance of understanding where you fit with them. You have a better chance of being a part of said cultures. We have to go back and understand how the systems work not to leverage them, but to be a genuine part of them. By doing so, you will help build trust. By doing so, you will be able to be protected by those who you are also trying to protect. So that when trolls come in, they're like, no, no, what you're saying is wrong because we actually know them. We actually like them. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, no. can you think of an example of maybe a brand that's done that particularly well? Um, the, the closest brand I can think of is Nike. Um, not only because of the Colin 
the uh, you know Dream Crazy with Colin Kaepernick, but just for the longest time, they've understood where they fit. If you look at their ads, they're not sales ads. They're not buy buy this thing, buy this thing, buy this thing. I mean, they are, but they're not overtly that. They are. Look at these people who are wearing our stuff. Whether they are celebrity endorsers or just people that you don't know offhand. Their ads are love letters to athletes. The things that they build are for athletes. Mm -hmm. They've let the culture kind of name some of their products, whether they use the name in sales and marketing or whether it's just an understanding. You know, they they totally embrace um, people from New York calling uh, white Air Force Ones uptowns for 20 some odd years. They didn't try to tell them, no, it's not called that. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, you want to call it that? Okay, cool. <laughs> How can we make this work? Right. You know, um, a lot of other companies, they try to do stuff like that when, they use, when they're trying to use influencers. <clears throat> the best brands let the influencer just be who they are. And uh, yeah, they tell them certain points that need to be communicated, but they don't try to script them. You know, they don't say, okay, this person has this audience. How can we put our sales messages to this audience? They're like, no, how can you help us connect with this audience? A lot of it is ex- execution and understanding where you fit. Right. Thank you for that. Um, and so in addition to the brand anarchist, you're also a senior leadership member for 100 Roses from Concrete, which is a network for people of color in advertising, marketing, media, and public relations industries, the growth initiative, and a strategic advisor for the communications agency Bold Culture by Streamlined. Can you just tell us a little bit about these initiatives and how you got involved? Sure. So um, I'll start with 100 Roses from Concrete and the growth initiative, because those are linked together. both were started uh, by a good friend of mine, his name is Kenny Thacker. He has also been in the advertising industry for a while. He used to be the agency side as well. And now, you know, he has his own thing too. And uh, it was just, just another opportunity we saw to, to help, you know, um, thinking about the struggles that we've gone through, thinking about conversations we've had with plenty of colleagues, and kind of just adding something <clears throat> systematic to trying to fix the problem, you know. Um, you know, kind of having an organization where you can help people who you know are going through struggles that you've gone through yourself and sharing your experiences trying to help them with solutions to set experiences, um, providing opportunities or passing opportunities along, uh, building businesses. That's what 100 Roses from Concrete is about. And then the growth initiative is in the same vein, but for those who are trying to get into the industry. So um, 
college students, uh, recent college graduates, who you can see all types of potential in, uh, but know that they don't have the same access and opportunity as others. Once again, going back to some of our experiences where we had, we either didn't have anything like this or we didn't have the same access to things like this, building things that didn't exist to make things better. That's really the, uh, uh, the kind of spirit we put behind Hundred Roses from Concrete and the Growth Initiative. In terms of bold culture from Streamline, um, a friend of mine was part of that, uh, that up and coming uh, company, agency, because it's a communications agency, and introduced me to the CEO. And they had uh, this piece of data that was in the form of uh, a general white paper, but it was called the black paper because it was about um, the black experience and black contributions to advertising. And the name got me, I was like, okay, we need to talk about this. And ever since then, uh, and that was in 2017, ever since then, uh, I've been an advisor for him. Great. Um, and I know you have a fellowship program at the Growth Initiative. Could you just tell us yes. a little bit about that if anyone is interested in applying? Sure. So um, I think it's for uh, college students, recent college graduates in advertising, marketing, media, public relations. And it's a 10-week program where we take our fellows and we split them in groups and they work with um, nonprofit uh, companies to help them create an ad. 10 weeks, um, about 40 hours altogether, plus any time that you want to work on some of the stuff before, but the commitment is 40 hours, not per week, but over the 10 weeks <laughs> um, to create an ad, an ad that generally ends up on television for a nonprofit. And the uh, last two weeks ends up being uh, help with job placement, uh, resume, writing, portfolio building, et cetera. Um, and yes, the applications are open. Uh, you can see them at 100rosesfromconcrete.com slash growth. Uh, you know, if you're interested in that, there's an application process. It's not a, a difficult or long application, uh, but you know, we do have to have a vetting process of some sort. Last year was the first one. And I believe 60% of our fellows were placed at jobs uh, within two months of the completion of the process. I think awesome. everyone is, is doing something different, you know, um, some of them are still in school, so you know, obviously they're not <laughs> doing full-time work yet. Um, but it was very successful. It was even more successful than we thought it would be, because you know, especially last year, <laughs> um, you know, we didn't have the greatest confidence in finding jobs yeah. for our fellows, even though we had the ultimate um, faith in our fellows. You know, the job market was and still is hard. 
uh, but we were able to, to place a lot of our fellows. And that's that's the benchmark, so we can't go below that. Well, congratulations. That sounds like it's been really successful. Thank you. Um, just to close this out, I wanted to end with two questions. First, what advice would you give to those looking to get into this field? And uh, just kind of connected to that, how can listeners follow your work and maybe get in touch with you after this interview? Okay. Um, I think the biggest piece of advice of getting into this field is one, understanding that your point of view matters. Um, a lot of what we do is based off a of point of view. And it's not about having a point of view that you can't uh, back up. You need to be able to back it up. Some of that will be data-driven. Some of that will be insight-driven. Some of that will be experience-driven. But understand that your point of view matters. You know, um, even if you're just trying to get into the field, you have a point of view for a reason. You have to be open to learning. And I say that for everybody. I've been in the game for 25 years. I'm still learning. The biggest mistake that anyone in this industry can make is to think that they know everything. Things are changing entirely too quickly. So understand your point of view matters. Be open to learning. And understand that the difficulties that you experience are going to help you decide whether or not you want to stay in this business. And either answer to that question is perfectly fine. In terms of how people can get in touch with me, well, it's pretty easy. I'm very uh, easy to catch online. Uh, you can catch me on LinkedIn. Just my name, Gary J. Nix. Put that in the search bar. It should be easy to find me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. McFly. That's M-R underscore McFly. Um, I sometimes talk barking stuff there. I talk about a lot of things there. So. And um, my website, uh, which is thegreatercast.com. Those are three easiest ways to get in touch with me. Well, Gary, it's been wonderful to talk with you. Thank you so much for donating your time and sharing your insights with us. And thank you so much for being here. We appreciate our loyal Impact Report listeners and hope you can help us spread the word about the series and the important sustainability work of our guests. Please rate and review the Impact Report wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you were inspired by this conversation, share a screenshot to your Instagram account and tag Impact Report Podcast. Follow Gary J. Nix on social media and visit thebrandarchist.com to learn more about all of the topics discussed in today's episode. Join us for the next episode of the Impact Report on Friday, April 30th. We'll be speaking with Nicole Meyer, Director of Branding at Ultra Fabrics. 
interested in learning how you can launch a high-impact, purpose-driven career in sustainability, check out the resources page from the Bard Graduate Programs in Sustainability for access to free resources to jumpstart your career in sustainability. Hear from leaders in the fields of climate change, consulting, impact finance, fashion, circular economy, and more about how they launched their careers and the tips they have for you to join their industry. Visit gps.bard.edu slash resources today.